Hello and welcome to the Quietly Visible podcast. I'm your host, Carol Stewart, founder of Abounding Solutions and author of Quietly Visible. And this is the host for introverted women who want to thrive as leaders and in life. And today I have with me Chris Delaney, who is a hypnotherapist, interview coach, and he helps anxious career professionals succeed in job interviews. He's also a published author, and his latest release is What is Your Interview Identity? And we're going to be talking about uh, his personal story um, as someone who is um, dyslexic and has, has a lisp and how he left school with no qualification, but he has a passion for helping people and he has used that passion and has helped him to excel at what he does and also helping his clients to excel. And he's also going to be talking about his work in helping people to excel at interviews as well. So I'm really looking forward to this. And I know that many of you will love to hear what Chris has got to share. So hello, Chris, and welcome. Hi, Carol. Thank you for inviting me down. Really excited to be here to share some tips to help people pass the job interview. Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. So before we delve into the conversation, just tell us a bit about you and your work, what it is that you do. So I help anxious career professionals pass the job interview. It's funny, isn't it, how you get these sort of high-powered individuals who are successful in the job that they're in, but they come to a job interview and they just get anxious to get fearful, they get really scared and can't express their competencies so they never get offered that promotion that they actually deserve. So what I do is help those anxious career professionals to succeed in the job interview. Yes, and I know interviews are something that many people find challenging, and particularly um, my, my, my listeners who are introverted, because the the way that interviews are conducted don't necessarily allow people who are introverted to have that thinking and reflecting time that they prefer where they're put on the spot to answer questions. So I know that they're going to really benefit from what you have to say. So you're... That's right. Uh, Sorry, go on. So I was going to say, like, one of, one of the positives actually about being an introvert is that you do analyse the interview question a lot more compared to an extrovert person who will just blur out uh, loads of information that's often irrelevant to the question they've been asked. Where when you're introvert, you do weigh up a little bit more so your answers are normally more specific. But one way to get that additional time, because I'm introvert as well, uh, one way to get that additional time uh, that we all need to, to understand what the question is and to uh, weigh up our answer is to ask the interviewer an additional question. So if they say to you as an example, tell me about the time you were successful, instead of answering straight away, say to them, do you want uh, an example about me being successful in the workplace or outside the workplace? Now that just gives you a little bit of time while they answer that question for you to weigh up your answer. Or even more simpler, just take a sip of water after they ask the question, put the glass down, you got two or three seconds then to decide what you're gonna say and then uh, give your high scoring interview answer. That's brilliant. Oh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. Um, but, but before we sort of delve into that, I'd love to hear you share your story because um, as someone who is dyslexic and with a lisp at school, you have, you, you have particular challenges. And how have you overcome your challenges to now excel at what you do? So I'm a dyslexic loser. 
this is how I see myself when I was at school and when I left school. I just thought, you know, I'm not academic. I'm not clever. I've got no intelligence. I'm not going to really do anything with my life. I'm not going to succeed uh, at anything. I also, like you said, I had a list and I was getting speech therapy. So when I left school, <clears throat> uh, I still have a list, uh, but I was talking really fast as well, uh, all due to my nerves, my anxiety, the, the way I see myself. Uh, when you've got low self-esteem, you don't think you're ever going to be successful. So I ended up working these like what I, you know, what we call like low skill positions. And my, you know what? My first job I was on like about a pound an hour as well. Can you believe wow. that? Carl? One pound an hour. <laughs> wow, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I, I do you know. I always had it inside me all this passion for wanting to help people. I always, I always knew that's what my destiny was. And I thought, if I can't get paid to help people, I can just volunteer. So. I signed up with uh, disabled groups where we used to take disabled adults out rock climbing and hiking. I joined youth groups and scout groups and became leaders there, all doing activities to help people uh, improve their own lives. A couple of years later, I'm still working in these low-skilled jobs. I still got quite low self-esteem. I've kind of overcome my list with all the speech therapy, but I'm still dyslexic. And I get an opportunity to learn how to drive a thoughtless truck. And I was really excited about this. I thought it'd be great getting a, get a thoughtless truck, drive it out the warehouse, unload the pallets of the vans, drive around the warehouse. It'd be a really good thing for me to learn. And I, I, and the other thing, Carl, I was so good at it. When I got onto that training course, I was the king of the truck. <laughs> uh, I'm a kinesthetic learner like a lot of dyslexic people are. We learn by doing so. I was on the truck, driving it through the chicane, lifting up the pallets, putting it back down again uh, and reversing that. I was great. But some of my colleagues on that course were very anxious and nervous about being on this big, scary machine. And they kept crashing into the pallets. They nearly drove over the instructor a couple of times. They crashed into the warehouse building. They wasn't having a good training day. <laughs> and the instructor said to me, he said, Chris, you're going to pass your test. And they turned around to my colleagues and said, but you're going to fail. This guy was not a motivational speaker. <laughs> so it even ruined the confidence even more. So I went over to him. And I did this visualization technique that I would do with the adults, the disabled adults, when they was going to do some rock climbing. Uh, and it's what I do now with my hypnotherapy clients, actually, to help them overcome phobias. I did this visualization technique. My colleagues got into the truck, confident as anything, drove through, lifted up the pallet, put it back down, reversed out of there, and passed their test. So nice. we all had a great day. A year later, the person who taught me how to drive the faultless truck comes down to my workplace and he says, Chris, do you remember who I am? I was like, yeah, you're the faultless truck guy. He goes, no, no, no. I'm the managing director of the organization. Wow. I was like, ooh. <laughs> he said, the only reason I was there that day is because the instructor rang an ill and we didn't want to come to your course. So I came down and, and taught you guys how to drive the faultless truck. And I always remember that we had those anxious, nervous, and scared colleagues. And you whispered to them. You did that magical whisper. <laughs> this is what we call you in our team meetings. We call you the magic whisperer. And they got in that truck and as confident as anything, drove it and passed their tests. We were always talking about you in our team meetings. I was like, wow, this is great. He said, we're expanding our company and we know you're on a low wage. We know you're dyslexic, but we want to give you a chance. We're going to teach you to become a thoughtless truck instructor and offer you a job if you pass that course. I was like, oh my God, this is such a big opportunity. Like part of me being like dyslexic, being nervous, had low self-esteem was thinking, you know, should I just uh, decline this and just stay in my comfort zone, you know, being in the warehouse. But then I thought, no, maybe I should go for this. And then he said to me, the course is 3,000 pounds. 
like remember Carol, uh, I'm probably on like £2.50 an hour now, you know, I'm not on yeah. no minimum wage at this time, I'm struggling, I'm eating beans and toast from my tea every night, that's how poor I am, I have £30 in the bank, not £3,000, and I thought it was a con, I thought he wanted me to give him 3 k and then there'd be no job at the end of it, and he read all this on my facial expressions and said, no, 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 we're going to pay for your course, we're going to mentor you, we're going to support you, we're going to direct you, and we're going to get you to be successful in this career. And I think for me, Carol, what uh, what makes me successful is uh, I follow my passion and I take any opportunities that present themselves. And I think when you take opportunities and you and you're passionate about something, that naturally creates success. And I, and I would agree with you there. That because and the thing is, and as well, when you're following something that you're passionate about, a lot of the um, things that may have been barriers previously in terms of confidence and self esteem. When you're doing something that you're passionate about, the, I, I think the confidence flows with that because you're, it's like you're in your you're in your flow, aren't you? Yeah, and it's and it's about being in your flow. This is why people are scared of stuff like public speaking, job interviews, going on dates or whatever because they're not in their flow state. They're in their fight or flight panic state, aren't they? So the brain mm-hmm. operates on a different level. You're not even digesting your food properly. You're uh, you know, your body wants you to have a fight or fight in that situation. But where you're in your flow state, you're in your rest and digest uh, state where your body's working in its natural way. You can think more clearly, you can project ideas, and you're just naturally more confident within yourself. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, so, and, and having as well someone who um, believes in you as well makes a big difference, doesn't it? So, this, this guy was a, the MD. He, they believed in you that they were right ready to willing to invest in you and so how did that make you feel knowing that it was definitely a massive changing point in my life because one I kind of stepped up from uh you know these low skill jobs where I was just like you know moving boxes around the warehouse to doing something profession professional my salary kind of increased as well so uh you know, I felt, oh, maybe I've got this monetary worth, even though I had imposter syndrome that, at the time. Mm-hmm. But the belief of someone wanting to take a chance on me and wanting to support me and mentor me and give me this opportunity made mm-hmm. me think, you know, maybe there is something about me because I know when I'm volunteering with the young people, like they respond really well to me. I make them feel confident in the situations. When I'm taking the uh, disabled adults climbing and I, and I chat to them and motivate them, you know, they confidently climb up that wall. And I think, having that professional invest money into me made me think, you know, actually, I, I, I didn't realize I had these skills that I have. And it just made it more in the forefront of my mind. And that helped me there to then like take more opportunities and to, to develop myself and to become a lifelong learner. Yeah, yeah. And so, so to, to, to talk about how it was when you, you went into the, to the training, so you've gone from these low skilled manual jobs now into training, um, so what was that transition like as you got into that that field of training? It was really funny because I was, you know, I looked I look really young uh, when I got this opportunity and I was, I was probably was immature as well. And I used to travel to all these uh, warehouses and production factories and stuff around Greater Manchester and the Northwest. <laughs> and, and these like often like 40 year old uh, big guys would come into the training room and they see like little old me nervous and shy and, you know, <laughs> and so you know when I was nervous and shy my list came out a little bit more as well and I thought who the hell is this guy you know trying to teach me how to drive to fart the truck mm-hmm. but I, because I was a people person though I was able to build rapport and likability uh, quite easily uh, with him but the biggest barrier was I was I'm dyslexic and 
I hadn't overcome uh, that initial problem. And I had to write for the first time in my life, apart from school, I had to write reports and write notes and stuff like that. And I thought, I can't spell these words. Mm-hmm. I remember having to spell um, separate uh, a lot and I just couldn't spell it. And actually, Carol, separate is one of the misspelled words uh, in the UK. You have to spell it S-E-P-A-R-A-T-E or S-E-P-E-R-A-T-E. So people always get confused which way to spell it. Mm-hmm. So um, I learned some visualization techniques to, to help me to learn how to spell these, like what I thought were long, complicated words. So for separate, what I used to do is to imagine being in a plane, opening up the door in a plane as it's flying across the country with a wind brushing through my hair. You could look down onto the earth and see the small trees and the small cars and the small cows and all that sort of stuff. And I'd jump out the plane and be falling to my death, plummeting towards the earth with the wind brushing through my hair, my hair and my eyes watering, uh, my heart beating uh, erratically as I plunge towards the earth. And then I'd pull a parachute and it'd open up and I'd gently float down. Uh, float down. And the reason I always visualize the parachute jump is because separate is spelled S-E-P-A-R-A-T-E. And that's what I used to use uh, to help me with my dyslexia, visualization techniques to rem- help me remember how to spell words. Uh, and then I also got motivated by that and went back to school and did my English and did my maths and got into doing my ICT qualifications as well. Wow, that's amazing. Well done for that. And and so in terms of um, the dyslexia, what way has that or how were you um, treated as a result of that? I mean, you talked about at school. How, what was your experience like at school? Well, I kind of, I don't think they fully understood what dyslexia was when I was kind of diagnosed. I remember being in school, in primary school for the first time and realising I couldn't spell because my best friend at school was called Luke and he used to spell his name L-O-O-K. <laughs> I used mm-hmm. to spell Luke instead of Luke uh, and my teacher used to point that out and I kind of thought, oh, maybe, like, why am I, you know, why am I struggling and no one else is uh, struggling? And I actually got sent off to, they used to call it a special school when I was young, um, but like a, a you know a school where supported people with learning difficulties and yeah. I went there for a couple of years but then when I got to high school I was back in like mainstream high school and I remember we went to this like um, all agency meeting so I was there my parents and then you know all these different professionals there to give me advice uh, and support and, and they said well what, what we've got for you Chris we've got you uh, a, dictif- a dictaphone so instead of having to read and write you can listen to the teacher and then you can press record and record your essays and your writing on this dictaphone and then we can use that to mark your work and I remember thinking I can't do that you know I mean I got a pretty rough school here that's yeah. like a limelight this will be a limelight on me in the classroom you know what kids are like aren't they when someone's doing something a little bit different uh, potentially start bullying that person or you know taking uh, a bit of a joke so I kind of discarded the help I got to, to try and fit in a bit more normal and I think Academically, that put me back a couple of years um, because I didn't want to take that support that I was being offered in school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've had a couple of friends who have been um, been identified as being dyslexic when they're in their forties, and it's been quite revelatory for them knowing this that there isn't. It's not that they're something wrong with them. It's that you know they are dyslexic. You know, whereas before they probably beaten themselves up in the past because they struggled with certain things but then having yeah you know, identify well this is the reason why has been quite revelatory for them 
Yeah, and then once you know why as well, you can start researching ways to support yourself or ways to get other people to support you as well. Like one of the techniques I use now is, it's quite easy these days because we had like, you know, really good spell checks on Word, don't we, at the moment? They're getting really mm-hmm. clever spell checks and grammar checks, which is great. But when I'm writing things out, I, can't, I, I always know that I, I spelt the word wrong now because I have like a gut feeling about it. And I think previously I used to ignore that and carry on writing. Where now I kind of go, oh, maybe that's not right. Go back to it and then uh, weigh up the different ways of spelling it because this lets you get all the words mixed up and um, so mm-hmm. they just come out in different orders. Right, okay. And and have you ever found in the workplace that um, you've been treated any differently because of, of it or um, being treated or disadvantaged in the workplace at all? It's, it's a difficult one, that, because... When your colleagues notice that you can, because especially when, when I was doing quite a lot of handwritten stuff when I first got into training rather than, rather than on the computer, people would notice that you were spelling things wrong. And often when you're dyslexic as well, you, your handwriting is quite scruffy. My handwriting is, is terrible. People call me, the, I got doctor's handwriting, which is really funny because doctors are very clever and academic. <laughs> but they have that, that fast scribble, don't they, where yeah. uh, me not being able to spell have that same style, style of writing. So people used to recognise it quite quickly when we used to do a lot of handwritten stuff but not as much when we're doing uh, more uh, written stuff on via email uh, and on the computers and uh, I think when people recognize that you've got uh, spelling mistakes and then you talk about being dyslexic I think these days people are more encouraging and more supportive especially if you work for like a big employer they have like positive discrimination policies don't they, they have yeah. uh, lots of CPD in place for for people uh, but I think previously when I first left school uh, and and you know people noticed it a, a little uh, at that time I think people seen that as more as a negative and thought I was you know would class me as stupid uh, rather than someone who needed a bit more support mm-hmm. yeah so so then how did you get into sort of focusing on interviews and um writing your your book what is your interview identity what made you go down that path so like I said from an early age I was always passionate about wanting to help people I was the sort of kid where other children would come and tell me their problems. I think it's because I had a list. I never wanted to talk when I was young, so I was a great listener. You know, people would tell me the problems. I never interrupt them. I just sat sit there uh, and listen to them. Uh, and then when I got into this like opportunity to drive the thoughtless truck, I realised that people have all these like anxieties and fears all the time. And after that job role, I got into delivering employment training. It was the same thing. Unemployed people uh, would sometimes refuse a job interview because of their fears and anxiety of putting themselves on show and I knew like if I could help people uh, overcome their fears and anxieties and phobias I could make a real big difference in people's lives so I kind of got into like life coaching uh, I got into like NLP and hypnotherapy uh, I also started doing like careers advisor qualifications and got into that that sort of job sector so all that kind of merged together where I thought if I could help someone overcome their fears with a job interview they could then apply for jobs that they really want uh, in companies that they, uh, have the same value systems as them and could hopefully get you know a great position with a good wage and then that would relate to them having a really good work-life balance. So my passion for wanting to help people and wanting to overcome their fears and anxieties just sort of naturally took me down the route of being a careers advisor and then being an interview coach. Right, okay. And, and um, how do you go about helping someone to overcome their interview anxiety and... Um performing well at in the interview 
So there's a couple of things that really stop people uh, performing well in a job interview. And the first one is, you know, we got this on a hundred different websites, but it's so, it's so important is practice creates perfection. People who consistently fail at job interviews on average spend about 45 minutes preparing for that job interview, where people who, uh, who do well in job interviews will spend four to five hours. And people who are constantly successful will spend four to five days preparing for that job interview. Mm-hmm. And it's three rules for a successful job interview. Rule number one, identify the job criteria. So then you know what you need to be talking about during that uh, recruitment process. Rule number two, be a self-promoter. In England, we're so reserved. We hate telling people how great and wonderful we are. But in the job interview, it's expected that you uh, promote yourself, that you talk about big achievements, your successes and your unique selling point. And then the third one, Carol, is communicate with confidence. Vary your language, uh, increase your volume and, and decrease your volume, have emotive words, feel those emotions when you're talking to people, have long descriptive answers. So you need long descriptive answers, you need emotive words, you need emotion in your language. Because your interview identity is based on your level of perceived knowledge and experience for that job role, plus your level of confidence uh, when you're communicating your competencies to the employer. Yeah, and those are great tips. And um, if you could just maybe sort of dissect them a bit, um, because these are things that I often see um, my clients have challenges with. So when identifying, you talked about identifying the job uh, criteria and oftentimes as well, it's about understanding the the language that is being used as well, I find, because, um, you know, sometimes someone, an, an, an organisation may use particular, um, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, like um, acronyms and stuff. Yes, that's right, yes. Or they may speak, use a particular way of describing things or talking about things which to the the lay person maybe they may not quite understand so sometimes it's just understanding what the job criteria actually means that can make a big difference Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's so important it's a really good point that you made there Carol because if you walk in and you're using like industry rate industry uh well used acronyms and cinnamons and all that sort of stuff and you talk about uh, sector related models and theories people will just perceive that you know what you're talking about for that particular job role so you so you just viewed as a more suitable and competent uh, applicant because you're naturally using the language that they use in their business as usual tasks so it's a, it's a really important point that Carol you mm-hmm. need to be talking the talk that they use Yes, it's understanding the jargon. That's the word I was looking at, or jargon, understanding the, the industry specific jargon as well. And, and so looking at um, uh, point number two, self-promoting, that is and particularly for people who are introverted, a, um, can be quite challenging because introverts typically don't want to be in the spotlight um, and self-promoting quite requires talking about yourself and promoting yourself and I often have people when they've come to me for coaching uh, have been told that turned down for promotions or um, at job interviews because they've focused too much on the we as in the team effort and what the team has achieved rather than the I and what it is that they have achieved and whilst it's good to acknowledge the team effort you shouldn't do that at the um, and disadvantage talking about yourself 
and because it's all about what the employer wants in it as well like what is it they want from you as an individual they would be quite happy to know about your team successes but really they're trying to understand the job performance that you're going to bring to the organization and that's why it's so important to talk about the i so if you're giving a uh, you know a situational job interview answer you need to talk about like the problem you were facing uh, or the or the goal that you're trying to achieve and then you need to talk about the kind of like duties and how uh, those duties were spread out. But then it gets into the detail of what you did as an individual. So what responsibilities did you take hold of? Like, were you the leader in that team? Or you, were you the creative person? Were you the data person? Were you the motivator? Like, talk about like your role, even your idea process. So if the, if the goal was to whatever, make some more money for the organization, like how did you come up with different ideas? What were the pros and cons of those ideas? And, and which ones did you dismiss? And what was the reason for dismissing those ideas? Because employers are also looking for like the creative process, the creative problem, problem solving skills that uh, applicants have as well. So your answers need to be very specific, uh, very detailed, and you need to give as much data uh, as you can as well. So people can compare what you can achieve compared to the next applicant. And if you're introvert, uh, if, you have, if you're introvert and you've got a warm interview, so someone who kind of like encourages you, nods along, like smiles, like good eye contact, introvert people tend to respond well to that and, and will often give quite, you know, detailed answers. But it's when you have like a bit of a cold interview or something you've not got rapport with and they're kind of looking down and, they, you know, they, they're mumbling a little bit or they're not asking follow-up questions, the introvert person can often struggle in that situation. So a good thing to do is uh, have a couple of different structures in your head. So uh, some simple structures are talk about the model um, that's related to the question you're asking and then give a real life example. If you're giving examples, talk about the situation, the actions you took, and then the positive outcome. So we call that SAP, situation, actions you took, and then the uh, positive outcome. Uh, when you get choice questions, if an employer is asking you, would you prefer that or this, or do you want to work on your own or in a team? Talk about the pros and cons uh, of both choices because all those three um, structures uh, will ensure that your answers are more longer and more descriptive. And the research shows that the high number of words per interview answer often results in uh, job offers. Oh, that's interesting. I've not heard that one. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And those are, those are great tips. Um, and, you know, when it comes to sort of communicating with, with confidence, you know, that that will all help in terms of the communication, isn't it, won't it? I think I think having that just having a structure, I think three things would help with confidence without doing like confident techniques. So one, predicting the interview questions so you can write out your answers. And if you write out your answers three times, by the way, one, your answers will get stronger and stronger and stronger. But if you handwritten out your answers three times, they get embedded into your subconscious. So when you're asked a question, the answer naturally comes uh, naturally comes out. Having a structure, uh, is, it gives you a start, a middle, and an end point where when you're nervous, you either don't say a lot or you waffle on too much that you go off on a tangent. That's irrelevant to the job interview question. We do that at parties all the time, don't we? <laughs> so having a structure uh, keeps you on point. And then the third the third bit, Cal, is what you said before. You need to talk about I. So when you answer in, make sure you're talking about I, what you bring to the team, what you can offer, the advantages of employing you yeah yeah um yeah thanks for that and one of the things that you um mentioned previously um before we, we come on the podcast was about um the um employee how the employer behavior affects the applicant 
this is a really big, important part of the job interview process. So you have three things that affect um, the interview outcome. So one is unconscious bias. The employer comes downstairs, meets you for the very first time, and will make an instantaneous opinion based on stuff like your size, your height, the clothes you're wearing, how you stood, if you're uh, male or female, if you're old or young or your ethnicity, and a hundred different uh, other pieces of information. All this information is filtered through their experiences, their values, their belief systems, and creates an instant feeling, you know, I like this person or, or I don't like this person. Now, this is really important because that first filter can act uh, as a decision point on if, if they're going to listen to what you're saying or they're going to start ignoring you. So as an example, if an employer likes you, they, they intently listen more to you, they nod along a little bit more, they have better eye contact, and they'll naturally ask follow-up questions because if someone likes you, they search for evidence to back up their own belief and opinion compared to when the employer dislikes you for whatever reason and they just want the interview to end. They've got five more interviews today. It's nearly dinner time. And this person doesn't seem that suitable for the role, so let's kind of like, uh, you know, cut this one short. So they don't look at you, they don't nod at you, they, they don't write as much detail down, and they're really trying to end that interview. And if you ever self disclose a weakness, they'll jump on that because that backs up their belief that you're not the right person for this job role. And at a subconscious level, the applicant sees this, and then their behavior starts to change. So the employee don't like them, they act in a way that isn't their normal self, uh, which makes the self-fulfilling prophecy. The employer goes, I knew you weren't going to be doing good. Your answers are really poor. So, you know, I was right in the first place. Mm. But you can overcome that. There is a way to overcome that as well. Yeah. Okay. And then, and, and how do people overcome that? So it's based really on this uh, interview prediction grid model, your interview identity. Mm-hmm. So the like you through this unconscious bias and remember it's unconscious it's not like the employer is sexist or racist or ages they just get this natural feeling that they're you know i like that person or not when they ask that first interview question if you can communicate your competencies confidently they'll see you in a brand new light so you kind of break that pattern i didn't think he was gonna be that good oh wow this first answer is like very strong you know very in-depth using loads of industry jargon and acronyms and you talk about models and theories and how you can have an impact on your organization if you create a really strong high school interview answer on that initial question that becomes uh, the new filter because the employers really are just looking for someone who's really suitable for that role uh, and if their new filter is a positive interview identity someone who's optimistic or charismatic or self-assured this will become the uh, the new filter so they'll start searching for new evidence to back up this new belief Right. So it's about how you wow them with your first answer. Mm. And, and do you go yeah, into the... we lazy. We have like a lazy mind, don't we? Um, mm-hmm. So we make snap judgments and we just believe that snap judgment. So if they think this person does seem dead suit, but I can make a difference in our team, they'll, they'll want that person in the team. So they'll listen more. Where if they don't think they're suitable, they just kind of go, right, this was, a, this was just a mistake. Yeah. Okay. And do you go into detail, more detail about this in your book? Yeah, so the book covers kind of all the unconscious bias stuff, the interviewer's uh, self-fulfilling prophecy system that's embedded into their subconscious. Uh, We talk about all the different 16 interview identities. So, you know, how people act, what they do well, uh, the areas of development and what they can do in the job interview to kind of change that around. But the main part of the book really is, is helping people overcome their interview fears and anxieties how to structure their answers, sort of high scoring. Uh, and it's all based on academic research as well. So there's loads of techniques that uh, have been proven through research that help 
people to uh, create high scoring interview answers so they get offered more job roles right okay and how can people get hold of your book so it's officially out on the 1st of September on Amazon and all other good bookshops, <laughs> uh, but you can pre-order it now as well. So it's available for pre-order and then 1st of September, it's actually live uh, on Amazon and everywhere else. Great. Well, thank you. It's been a really interesting discussion and you've shared some great tips. And, um, you know, I, all those of you who are listening, I would recommend that you get Chris's book. Um, if you want more of what he's shared today, then do check out his book. And so if people want to follow you, social medias or go to your website, where's the, the best place for them to go to find? So my website is employmentking.co.uk uh, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. So Christopher Delaney uh, and I'm always happy to answer people's quick questions when they DM me. Uh, so, yeah, LinkedIn or employmentking.co.uk. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been a fantastic discussion. It's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks, Carol. It's been great. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. And do go and check Chris out and look out for his book. Um, And thank you for listening. So if you are someone who wants to increase your confidence, influence and impact, then do go to my website, aboundingsolutions.com, because there's a free assessment that you can complete on there that will give you some pointers of what you can focus on. And if you are an introverted woman and you want to join my high achieving introverted women community, then do find us on Facebook, the High Achieving Introverted Women Facebook group. And if you are a senior leader uh, and you are introverted, then do find us on LinkedIn in the High Achieving Introverted Senior Women LinkedIn group. So until the next time, bye.